I'm Nathan Gould. And I'm Lazarus Gramos. And welcome to the final Daily Doha edition of the Back Peg podcast. So this is our final episode of the Daily Doha series, a recap of possibly the greatest game of World Cup football we've ever seen. Nathan? I don't think, I think you can drop the maybe. I honestly think you can drop the maybe because you've watched a few more World Cups than I have. <laughs> From my memory, in, in yeah. my lifetime, that is by mm. far and away not only the best World Cup final match I've ever seen, I, it's the best World Cup match I've ever seen. This is recency bias kicking in. I think that caps off the best World Cup I've ever seen. And yes, social political factors do detract from it, but purely on the pitch stuff, that is the best World Cup I've ever seen from day one to day 23. This episode of the Back Pegs Daily Doha final episode is brought to you by Argentina. What else can we say? And, you know, to your point there, Nathan... I'm still recovering from this because obviously watching it, you know, with COVID as well, <laughs> a bit disoriented. <laughs> but I have to agree with you. In recent memory, in in living memory, from my living memory, I would say that's the best World Cup final I've ever seen. And you're right, I have seen a few. <laughs> but um, I would also hasten to add that because of the stage of the game, all those ingredients add to what you may call recency bias, but darn it, that's the best game of the World Cup as well, of this World Cup. So if we say that that's the best game of this World Cup and on the field it's been the best World Cup, well, then that by rights and logic has to be the best World Cup game, period. Now, that's a big call, right? And I'll probably get caught a lot of profanities (laughs) because of it, right? (laughs) Which I don't mind. And people might think that we're, you know, that we're crazy, but- Hey, someone might use one word that you used yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> uh, look, you know, if, if we need to use profanities, let's do it, right? But um, the fact is, if you look at it logically, I agree with you that this has been the best World Cup on the field and people aren't going to like it and they can feel free to call us dickheads. But it's because it's happened during the season. These players are at their peak. And we said in our Destination Doha preview series that we were looking forward to this World Cup because of that. And look at the football that's been served up. Hey, there's something to be said about this Winter World Cup, I'll tell you. And wow, that's a a great thing. We highlighted that very early doors here on the back peg. We said that this might be the best World Cup ever on the pitch, just in terms of the level of football, because it is mid-season. There's less niggles, there's less fatigue, and there's less of a build-up between the back end of the season and the first match. There's no long training camps. The players don't have time to lose sharpness. It is just bang straight in there. And uh, I'm hesitant to go completely off and go into the stratosphere of hyperbole, but- Go off, go off. I can't think of- Yeah, I can't think of a better game at a World Cup. And there's been some good ones at this tournament. None Mm. eclipse what we saw this morning. And it's not just the game in and of itself. 2-0 2-0 to 2-2, 3-2, 3-3, and then the shootout. You've also got the two main protagonists for this tournament, the two talisman of their teams, the two vying for the golden boot, trading goals, trading performances, carrying the rest of their sides that were doing their best to let themselves down. It was two warriors that were carrying the entire weight of their nations on their backs. And I feel for Kylian Mbappe after the game, scoring a hat-trick and being on the losing side. It's got to be one of the strangest feelings 
uh, he will ever experience as a footballer. But it all just feeds into my my feeling that this is, and today I feel like a football fan. <laughs> oh, I already was, of course, but Gianni uh, Ventino, he was getting involved in the scenes a little bit too much for my liking at the end. But Same with Macron. Yeah, yeah. I don't want to be too critical, but yeah. But it, it just feeds into it that I can't help but say my initial feeling at the moment is that this is the best World Cup match of all time. Not just the final, not just any other game. It's it's just a full it's just a full stop. Yeah, if it isn't, it's got to be in the top three. All right, if if this isn't the best game of all time in a World Cup setting, then it's got to be top three. But oh, for mine it is. For mine it is because, and we'll get to the game now because because of the quality in the game and the way that the game actually played out, it's just it's just surreal. It's just surreal. So Scaloni did a performed a masterstroke there with the lineup of and putting Di Maria in. So and just playing a four four two, which a straight out four four two, which we you know we a didn't four, expect. Four four fucking two. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> so I thought, you know, it's just crazy, right? So and what a call to get Di Maria to actually play on the left. He doesn't normally play on the left. Plays on the right. Yeah, that's right. So and he wins the penalty, scores the second goal. It's a great that second goal Oof. is is just sublime football, right? Um, it's in my top ten goals of the tournament, right? In fact, like another goal from this game actually got into the top ten goals of the tournament for mine as well. The quality of football in this game was just in, uh, insane. France's midfield was nowhere. Argentina were, were pressing. Argentina dominated the midfield. Second half, I actually thought they need another goal, though. I thought Argentina needed another goal. And we saw the changes with uh, Dembele. Dembele was was left marking De Maria and had no idea, unfortunately. And then you had uh, Giroud come off, which you thought at the time, it's just a straight swap. What's going on here? There's no change to the, um, to the structure of the team from Deschamps. But after the second half, after the second half commenced, and Argentina was still up two nil, around the game changed around about the sixty fifth minute. Right, the momentum shifted slightly, and that's when Mbappe actually decided, you know what, bugger it, I'm going to go get the ball myself, and actually injected himself into midfield, was coming deep to receive the ball, and then managed to find the space and channels, and 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 kept getting hit. And it was a matter of time before France got a goal, and then. Obviously, the, the inevitable happened. They got a goal with the uh, with the penalty, and then a minute later, we get another goal. Just in, insane. Yeah, and to that point, when France switched to the two up top, which is what we were discussing yesterday, the two strikers is on the table for Deschamps in this match, and the impact that it will cause. Uh, it can cause chaos for that Argentina backline who had shown signs of being vulnerable during this road to the final, and it proved that once you put well, once Deschamps had reshaped and put Mbappe next to Colomawani up top, that's when the, the space was generated. That's when the chances come. It was from that point onwards. And you say Mbappe was coming deep to get the ball and he was able to find some space. That was afforded to him because I think Griezmann left the field because yes. it's a different setup when Griezmann comes deep. He's the one who picks the ball up and he's looking to get, get Mbappe in behind. No Griezmann. Mbappe's got to come back and do that job himself. And that pull players out of position and it created space for Kolomowani, as well as the other attacking players that France have. And that was impressive from Deschamps that he was finally able to change his system. Because I was thinking 40 minutes in, 50 minutes in, something's got to change here. It's not going well at all 
France were done. They were done. 65 minutes, they were finished. Yes. Had no right to be in the game. They were offering nothing. They had no shots at all. Not even on target. No shots at all. And you're right to mention, the midfield was completely overrun. And it took one tweak later on in the, later on in the game. And it changed the complex entirely. So, well done to Deschamps for getting his team back in it. Well 100%. done to Kylian Mbappe for delivering the goods once again on this world stage. The Golden Boot is a small consolation prize for uh, the pain of losing a World Cup final. But there's going to be many more chances for Kylian Mbappe on this trajectory. Look, um, you're right there, Nathan. And masterstroke pulled by Deschamps to actually get Griezmann, who has been the standout star for France, aside from Mbappe in this World Cup. But... Um, we were discussing yesterday that um, Griezmann was the star of the French team uh, with his performances um, and his change in role, and it didn't work for France at all. Um, Deschamps made the call to, to uh, pull Griezmann off, and like you said, Mbappe went searching and just changed the complexion of the game. And well done to Deschamps for that because France would France were – in the 11th round of a heavyweight fight and they had their backs against the ropes and they were getting pummeled and they had no right to come back into it. And then you had the 80th minute come and Mbappe cometh the hour, cometh the man and you can't take anything away from his performance in this game. He was absolutely sensational, absolutely sensational. In fact, I would dare say that he was the man of the match on the losing side because of his impact in the game and the fact that he scored a hat-trick. Yeah, I can't disagree with you. The official men of the match went to Di Maria, I believe it was. No, Messi. Oh, Messi, Messi got it. Okay. Mm. Yeah, Me- Messi got it. I think that Budweiser one is just fan-voted, so... Yes, it is. It was always going to be Messi if Argentina won, I suppose. But yeah. Di Maria, perhaps deserving of a men of, men of the match award as well. Well, up until the 80th minute, it was probably his. And then the, the game just exploded, and wow. I was thinking, when Argentina scored that second goal, I was feeling a little bit downbeat that they weren't going to throw it away. Then they just cruise for the rest of the game. They win two. Maybe they get a third goal. And yes, it's a great moment for Messi, but this World Cup final as a game didn't wouldn't have really lived up to the billing. But what we did get, as we said at the top of the show, was astounding. Astounding. And Emi Martinez. We have to talk about Emi, Emi, Emilio Martinez. Yeah. Can, can we get to him in, in a minute? The reason why is I actually want to talk about extra time and Scaloni, and because we're sitting we're sitting there and we're thinking when is he going to make changes during the game? He hadn't made changes, you know, and, and I actually thought at one point he's a bit late with his changes. Waited until obviously went to extra time, made the changes. The ball was out on his feet from the seventy fifth minute. He was gone, right? So credit to Scaloni because he got his changes right, and he got every ounce from everyone. He got every ounce from everyone, right? Paredes came on. Uh, Lataro Martinez came on. Oh, Lataro Martinez. Far <laughs> out. This guy is Higuain 2.0. He, he could have won that game twice over. Seriously. The chances that he got himself into the right positions, except for being offside once, but he just couldn't get it on target. And Larice saved, uh, you know, pulled a couple of saves. But- Let's get to his counterpart, Emilio Martinez, who I know that you want to talk about because he was massive in this game as well. Yeah. And coming up in the show, we have, uh, we're have we going to do things along the lines of what we have done for the back peg in terms of some awards that we're going to hand out and some of our best uh, players and best moments for different positions. And coming into the game, I was in uh, a few minds which way 
to lean for goalkeeper of the tournament. And I actually had written down in my notes that I was going to give it to Lavakovic unless Emmy Martinez wins it in a shootout for Argentina. And that was always on the cards. And this this guy is just insane at a penalty shootout. There's no better keeper in the world in terms of that you would want as a goalkeeper in a penalty shootout. <clears throat> and special shout out to Neil Mope a few years ago in a match between Brighton and Arsenal, injuring Bern Leno. That mm-hmm. led to Emi Martinez getting his chance at Arsenal. Mm-hmm. He had maybe three months in the first team at the Gunners. It didn't quite work out. He left. But that three-month spell caught the eye of Aston Villa. And he went on to have a, a good season at Aston Villa, win the goalkeeper shirt for Argentina, wins the Copa America through the penalty shootouts that we saw two years ago, and now wins the World Cup for Argentina. The the butterfly effect in full force. So Neil Moipe, being French, uh, that... Action that was a typical Neil Mope moment of uh, shithousery. <laughs> uh, yep, spot on. You t- took the word from my mouth. It leads to remarkable things like this. So, yes, maybe Messi can go and send Neil Mope a message of thanks. <laughs> yeah, maybe. It may not be appreciated. <laughs> no, that's right. Uh, Nathan, the saves that Martinez pulled off during extra time were incredible. That one right at the death. Yeah, the right at the death. I mean, yeah. Seriously. And how Argentina didn't score right at the death as well, thanks. I mean. <sighs> That's the save of the tournament. That is the save of the tournament on Colin Moani. Oh, yeah. In is. the third yeah. minute of extra yeah. time stoppage time. Yep, 100%. But um, both teams actually didn't hold back. They weren't playing for penalties. They went for it at extra time. Credit to both teams. Just added to the drama of, of the game. And then we go to penalties. And there's shithousery in there as well. Oh, wow. Just, as I say, there's no better keeper. There's no other keeper I would want on my team going into a shootout. Because he, he just causes chaos. And shithousery, it, it's a fun word. And we don't mean it in a bad sense. No. It's, for those who are not all that familiar, it's like the dark arts. You try and roll someone up or you put someone off their game or all these sorts of things that are external to the actual game of football. But it's the mental side of things. And that's a massive part of football. And... The, the the games that he was playing, the peacock-like celebrations when either he saved a shot or, in the case of Chiumeni, Chiumeni missed, and particularly in the lead-up to that penalty. Exactly. Yep. That's the shithousery we're talking about. He yep. picked the ball up and uh, rolled it away and forced Chiumeni to go and pick the ball up, and that all feeds into it. And to be honest with you, Laz, if a goalkeeper doesn't pick up a yellow card in a shootout, have they done their job properly? <laughs> well, I think we're going to start seeing the the penalty shootouts being uh, marshaled a, a bit stricter from referees because uh, that point that you just picked up on um, with regard to the penalty that Germany was about to take and uh, that was ultimate shithousery, uh, like from Emmy Martinez, that, that was, you know, and that was worthy of a yellow card. In fact, he could have gotten a red card during the penalty shootout because that should have that should have gotten a yellow, right? Which is the only thing that's missing from this game, really, if you think about it, right? That's all this game needed. Emmy Martinez to get a red card in the shootout. Because he got booked. Um, he gets booked during the shootout. So it's just insane. Just incredible. Absolutely incredible. And that was the difference. I mean, the fact that he got a hand to each one of Mbappe's penalties as well, he went the right way. He knew which way Mbappe was going to go. Um, he just, his hand wasn't strong enough to keep them out. But, um, you know, he great keeping. And deserved Golden Glove winner. Yeah, very much so. 
And I love the celebration when he picks up the award. <laughs> how 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 impressed did Mbappe look uh, having to take a photo with? Um, oh yeah, with Messi and uh, Martinez and uh, uh, Enzo Fernandez there with who was the uh, youngest player of the tournament? Oh, the um, young player of the tournament, I should say. Incredible, you know. Yeah, fell for Mbappe there, and then he had to come up and get a photo with just himself, and then with Messi, and then with the other Argentinians. Wow. Just, yeah, so please let it end. <laughs> the look on Mbappe's face after the penalty shootout, um, there was a look that he gave, you know, not that he did, you know, that was captured. And I thought, well, this is something different. Reactions, like a, a, a you know, um, emotion. Like you saw something to the effect that I, when I saw that look, I thought, well, France will be back. You know, France will be back in a hurry. Because they're not, they're not going to forget the pain of this one, and they're going to use this to uh, to motivate themselves. There's no doubt about that. Absolutely, and Kylian Mbappe can hold his head up high. It'll hurt losing the World Cup final, but he did everything he could in this game. Scored his uh, three goals, and he scored in the shootout as well. And just was let down by some of his teammates a bit later on in the match. And France, on the whole, yes, it was a chaotic game. Yes, they did well to claw it back to two-two, and then to three-three. And almost win it right of the death through Colomawani. But it's Argentina's final. They deserved to win it on the balance of things. They they should have got it done in 90 minutes, Argentina. And they had the chance to see it out in extra time. And they went up in the shootout. At no point were France winning the game. Yeah, at no point were France in the lead. So, incredible. Incredible. Just what a final. I'm still, I'm still in, in awe. Um, I was going to ask what's the highlight of the tournament. <laughs> I think this is. Um, but outside of this game, what was your highlight of the tournament? Oh, there, there, there's a fair few to pick from. There are so many to choose. So many to choose. I can speak from an Australian perspective, and we don't really want to talk about Australian football after what we saw this weekend, but take me back to two weeks ago, the scenes in Fed Square. So there's that route. I could also say the Moroccan story, the Moroccan fans in the stands, the Senegalese fans. This was a, a unique World Cup in a, a good and a bad sense. We've covered the bad sense uh, well and truly on this show. But in the good sense, there was so much uh, fan culture, the massive Argentinians at every game, the massive Saudi Arabians in the games that they played as well. I think the fans just overall at the games are my moment, are my moments from the tournament. And we saw a World Cup in the Arab world for the first time and... From everything that I've been able to see online, some videos and pictures and stories and all these sorts of things, it seems as though everyone who went over to Qatar, well, the vast majority anyway, did embrace the culture. I saw so many people uh, dipping into Middle Eastern uh, cuisine and dress and all sorts, and that was great to see. Yeah. Well, we had a friend of the podcast uh, over in Qatar as well, Alejandro Ramirez, who uh, was there on the ground and um, yeah, we were following him and he had some great uh, great content that um, he uploaded to his stories on Instagram there. So that was uh, – and that's the same impression I got. Um, on the pitch, my highlight of the tournament was obviously this morning's final, but I, I want to say that um, Portugal destroying Switzerland 6-1 was a standout performance. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And there's so many football moments to choose from. Matt Leckie's goal against Denmark is one and – yeah, it's it's just been such a great World Cup, and we'll come on to some of the other uh, goals and the the teams and some other individual awards. We can go through it. Yeah, let's go through it. What was your best match of the tournament aside from the final? Because we know the final is the benchmark now. Like we, you know, we 
But best match of the tournament, I'm going. I'm going to say uh, England France. Okay. Okay. Yep. That's a fair shout. For the quality, the quality of football. Yep. I thought you might say Argentina Netherlands. Is, oh, that was drama. Yeah. That, that was high drama. <laughs> um, I initially had down South Korea Ghana, which was absolute chaos from minute one to minute ninety, and at, that just shows we've been able to pick out different games and. There's not one obvious match aside from the final that is the highlight of the tournament for both of us. Yeah. Yeah, no, very much so. Uh, we agree on best player of the tournament is Messi. Yeah. Yeah. There's no debate about that now. Uh, Kylian Mbappe will feel uh, perhaps with a nose out of joint, but no, nah, it has to be Messi. Best goalkeeper of the tournament, we agree on uh, Emilio Martinez. Yes. Yes. Oh. I was looking forward to this debate, actually, because you sent me through these notes earlier in the week that these are the things we're going to talk about once we get through the, a bit of a final recap. And I was looking forward to this debate. Do you go Bono? Do you go Lavakovic? Do you go Amy Martinez? And I was going to suggest uh, Chesney as well, who had a great tournament. But there's no debate to be had now. It has to be Amy Martinez. Can't disagree. Can't disagree. Coach of the tournament. See, coach of the tournament, I always like to give this... When I'm thinking about it, who is my the coach of the season in a football calendar or uh, at a tournament, it is, for mine, the biggest overachievers. We often talk about teams being greater than the sum of their parts, and I credit that a lot to the coaches. So, yes, there is the, the mention for Scaloni and Deschamps for their tactical tweaks, but for mine, the biggest overachievers this tournament, there's two options. There's either you either go Red Ragui at Morocco or you go Graham Arnold. I think you have to go uh, Red Ragui. Personally, if that's the case, out of the two, I think Graham Arnold has a has a has a claim to that award. I'll give it to yeah. Reg Regawi, but um, just expectation versus results. Mm-hmm. Yep. Those are the two big standouts. Your argument has got merit. I think just because of the fact that Morocco have reached the semi final, that's the only point of contention there for me, and that's where I would put uh, Regragi just slightly above Arnold. But you're right, and we can get to the official. Uh, Final placings of the World Cup as well, which have been published now that the tournament is over. But um, Australia having you know been classified as eleventh is far beyond what um, you know anybody else's expectations were, and they finished just behind Japan. Would you believe? Wow! <laughs> so Japan finished ninth. Japan finished ninth. This is Senegal tenth, and uh, Australia eleventh. That's a fantastic achievement for all involved. If you asked me pre-tournament what our official final standing would be, I probably would have said something starting with a three. Mm-hmm. But mm. to come 11th is amazing. And that's why Graham Arnold for mine deserves a lot of recognition for what he's been able to achieve with this squad of players. Completely agree. Completely agree. Um, assist of the tournament. Oh. There's two that I come to mind. I'm throwing this one on you because we, we didn't talk about this, but I thought about it this morning. What comes to mind is the one that Messi provided against the Netherlands. That's what I had. Where he's turned Nathan Ake and slipped in the right fullback. That was completely out of expectation and completely uh, in Messi's periphery. No other player this World Cup would have been able to play that pass. No other player this tournament would have been able to see that pass. And Messi was able to not only see it, but also execute. Nathan, would you believe that's what I had this morning, up until this morning's game? (laughs) I'm going to say McAllister. McAllister's assist to De Maria is you couldn't get a better assist. It was perfectly weighted pass. The movement that and the style of football that they played to get to that De Maria's goal is just bonkers. Yep. I wasn't sure that he saw De Maria as he made that run beyond the beyond the defensive line. I was hoping he did. And of course, we saw that he had seen it. But once again, 
Seeing the pass is one thing, execution is a whole other kettle of fish, and the weight on that pass, perfect. The angle, perfect. If it wasn't perfect, it would have either been intercepted or run out for a goal kick. So, well done to Alexis McAllister. Brilliant piece of football. What a tournament it is from him. Oh, incredible. Incredible. And yeah, worthy of assist of the tournament. Okay, so I've got 10 goals of the of the tournament. 10's a big number. I'll go through them quickly from 10 to 1. Yeah, and then I'll offer the ones up that uh, you haven't mentioned. Because I've got f- I've got five that uh, that have got special mention, and we'll see if you can get those right. So ten coming in at ten, Verhulst's second goal against Argentina in the quarterfinal for the Netherlands, that free kick. Yep. Number nine, Asano for Japan against Germany in the group stage, the goal at the near post that um, Manuel Neuer had no idea. Number eight, Rafael Lau for Portugal against Switzerland, the rocket to make it six uh, one. Number seven, Di Maria versus France this morning. Number six, Mbappe's second goal from the game this morning. So number five is Chumini versus England and his long-range effort there. Number four, Messi versus Mexico. Number three, Albasari for the Saudi Arabians against Argentina. Number two, Richarlison for Brazil versus Serbia. And number one- Your goal of the tournament. Enzo Fernandez versus, for Argentina versus Mexico. How'd I do? Wow. You did, that's a very good list. And it goes to show the level of the football this tournament that not only have I not got every single one of those goals in my top 10, it's only five. I've got five other goals to bring up from this tournament. And some of the ones you mentioned, just wow. I, I, can, I can picture the goals as you're reading them out and just some magical moments at this World Cup. Um, some other ones that I've got in here is Richarlison's against South Korea. I've got... Mbappe's second goal against Poland. I had that as a uh, special mention, yes. Yeah, I've got Matt- Matthew Leckie's against Denmark. Same. I've got Luis Chavez against Saudi Arabia, the free kick. Same. And I've got Chesmi's goal for a run against Wales. I had in Naziri for Morocco against Portugal. Yep. And that's what, a list of 16, 17, 18 goals? Out of hundred, Yeah, out of 172 goals. The most goals scored in a World Cup tournament. Yeah, absolutely. And we... I think Martin Tyler said it on com that with the six goals in the final, that nudged this World Cup past Russia 18, just in terms of pure goal output. And it's just been so fun the whole way through. We thought the goals would dry up in the knockout stages. Well, they didn't. They did not. <laughs> they did not. So time for the real fun now. Our 11s of the tournament. And I've had to change my mind this morning. <laughs> I did highlight that I would, you know, there would be a controversial omission from my squad, but the player earned his way back into my squad. I could not leave him out. Mm. I mean, there's a there's a fair few options that, that you, who you could be alluding to there. Yeah, yeah. We'll, uh, we'll do it position by position, I think. Okay, let's go. So, I've got essentially a 4-3-3. Okay. Mine, mine differs. Starting goal, I, it has to be Amy Martinez. As I said earlier, I had Lavakovic penciled in mm-hmm. with one caveat, unless Amy Martinez wins it in a shootout for Argentina. He's gone and done it, and uh, that eclipses uh, Lavakovic in this mm. tournament for mine. Yep. So I've got Martinez as well, and I've gone for three at the back um, with uh, two wing backs and three in midfield and two up front. Okay. Alrighty. So some of the defenders that I've got in here, I've got Hakimi at right back. I have uh, Vadiol and Thiago Silva as my two central defenders. I was tossing up Thiago Silva, Otamendi. And I decided to go in the way of the Brazilian. And I've cheated a little bit and I've stuck Nathan Ake at left back. 
He played centre-back uh, for the Dutch this tournament, but left centre-back, I uh, just shuffle over a little bit more. <laughs> <laughs> um, I was struggling for a, for an actual left fullback, and mm. Teo Hernandez perhaps, but he almost cost France the game against England. Yeah. There wasn't too many it, options. There wasn't a real standout, but I've actually gone for Teo Hernandez as my left wing back. I thought he wasn't. He wasn't good this morning. He wasn't good this morning. He wasn't good this morning, and that's why he got hooked. But I, look, Nazrawi could have could have been in there as well, but I, I decided against it. Shout for Diogo Dello, perhaps. Yeah, geez, he was good. Yeah, he was good. That's that's a that's a good call. He didn't start the first game. Cancelo did, and once he came in, yes, Portugal only played another four games from that point. But yeah, he was great, and I was in a, a potential mind to to chuck him in my team, but uh, I didn't. But Perhaps he was worthy of a, a spot in a World Cup eleven. But go on. Who have you got at the central defence? So I got Varane, Vardiol, and Christian Romero for my back three. Okay. Okay. Oh, good good picks. Good picks. I can't argue with them. Yeah, I got um oh Vardiol's the defender of the tournament for mine, but um but um Varane and Romero were just brilliant all tournament as well. What do you think about John Stones? Yeah, I've gone for Hakimi right back. And I've gone for Teo Hernandez left back. <laughs> <laughs> That's your thought on that. Okay. <laughs> um, yeah, look. I, I, okay. Back to John Stones for a minute. I don't mind John Stones, but um, I think Varane and Romero had better tournaments than John Stones. In fact, I, I thought Maguire actually, and I can't believe I'm actually saying this. I, thought Ma- <laughs> I Maguire, didn't want to bring it up because I'd, I'd be accused of Manchester United bias. Yeah, but- no, nah, but I actually think Maguire- <laughs> Slightly edge stones in performance. Mm, I bring it up because I've seen a few team of the tournaments going around, and uh, yes, there's a heavy uh, English England contingent in the those teams that I was reading, the people who had put them together. But I've seen a lot of John Stones. I don't understand why. Mm. I don't understand. That's, that's why. why I brought it up. I look at it and I go, okay, well, where does the team end up as well? Right? You'll you'll see that all my team ends up in uh, played in the semi-finals. They're in the final four. Okay. Uh huh. So, um, yeah, so I've gone Hakimi at the right wing back and Teo Hernandez uh, left wing back. Yep, and I've got a midfield three, mm-hmm. and I've gone for Amrabat. Mm-hmm. I've gone for Griezmann, mm-hmm. because he's a, he's a midfielder this tournament, not a forward. And I, was, I had a few names in mind for my third midfield spot. I thought Luka Modric, perhaps, Brozovic, perhaps, Unahi as well was a consideration. I've gone for Bruno Fernandez. Okay. A um, couple of goals and three assists as well. He was carrying Portugal at times, and I think this is now Bruno Fernandes' Portuguese national team. The mantle's been passed, and he was unlucky to be on the losing side against Morocco. Not to the same extent Mbappe in this morning, but still, it's been a great tournament from, from Bruno. Uh, we agree on Amrabat. We agree on Griezmann, but I've gone for Modric because he was just quality in this World Cup, and and he's been quality for years. He's been, the, you know... <laughs> He's in the goats of midfield. Yeah, I think the back end of the tournament wasn't too favourable for Modric. I think the game against Argentina didn't do him any favours, but yeah, he still had a good tournament. Uh, he was massive for Brazil, like against Brazil for Croatia. I mean, he's you know his control of midfield and his performance helped get Croatia get to penalties. Yeah, very much so. And who are your forwards, Laz? Messi. Yep. And Mbappe. Oh, okay. You've only got two in 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 the the shape that you've lined up as. Okay. He he was the one that was going to miss out originally. Well, Mbappe. Yeah, only because wow. 
Hear me out for a second. Wow, that is a controversial opinion, even before this morning. Yeah, and this morning changed it because I actually saw Mbappe actually come back into midfield and do the work, right? Normally, he's, you know, up there, left to his own devices, uh, free, whilst you in this side would normally have Messi actually doing that work, right? Or being free, walking around, doing whatever he's doing, you know, and picking his spots. But the quality and class of Mbappe's performance this morning, right, convinced me otherwise, right? And I thought, well, in, in a side, if I'm managing this team, I can't have both of my forwards being that same way. But you know what? When you got this kind of quality, you can. That's interesting. That's a different approach. You've gone for trying to pick a, a functional team, mm. uh, one that might actually go out and win football matches, perhaps win the whole tournament. Correct. I've just gone for all right, fullbacks, defenders, midfielders, forwards, who are the best th- two or three in each position. Uh, so I appreciate that you can't really run Messi and Mbappe if they're both not working off the ball. And we- we've seen what that looks like. Yeah, that's right. Although I, th- I think we'll see a different PSG uh, when the Champions League kicks off again. Yeah, very very much so. And I'm interested to see that dressing room once they all reconvene, mm. once the French League resumes in a, in a, in a week or two. Uh, and I, I had Scaloni as my coach. Oh yeah, fair enough. I didn't ask you about that. Um, sorry about that. Um, fair enough for Scaloni. He does deserve a lot of plaudits, even though he was a little bit late today with the changes. We were both messaging each other during the game that he's got to change this. Why has it happened yet? And react to the change that Deschamps served up, but got the job done. And he's written himself in the history books as well. Uh, my forwards, I've got three slots. So Messi and Mbappe are locks. Just because everyone knows why. And my third slot, I've gone for uh, Julian Alvarez. Good call. I had a few other options uh, to choose from. I thought, do I put Bruno Fernandes in the front three and then I can bring in either Modric and Nahi or maybe Bellingham if I was feeling a little bit fruity. But um, but I've gone that way. Alvarez, close to the golden boot this tournament and he's got so much potential for growth in this Argentina team. And it's actually interesting to see where Argentina goes for North America 26 now because Messi won't be there and who's going to pick up the mantle? Who's going to be leading the line trying to defend this crown that they're going to look to emulate France at this tournament? So I think Julian Alvarez has that in him to do that. Mm -hmm. He needs Mm -hmm. some supporting cast though. So that's a tangent. But for mine, Julian Alvarez deserves uh, some recognition for his performances this tournament because Messi and Argentina wouldn't have got to the final without him. I totally agree with you there. I look. I actually had him, and then Mbappe replaced him in my eleven. So there you go. Uh, two things that caught my interest away from the pitch: World Cup related. It's not Mr. Infantino again, is it? No, nah, it's not El Presidente. <laughs> it could have been. Although, although I did it, it post. Could a, have been. <laughs> if you check our Instagram story out from last night. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, with him holding the World Cup trophy. Anyway. I thought I swear I thought he was going to kiss it as soon as the camera came off. Yeah, I needed some sunglasses because there was so much glare, and it wasn't from the trophy. Yeah, um, <laughs> glad to see that the president has uh, the original World Cup trophy under his uh, keen watch at all times. Um, he's probably uh, he probably it was probably in the Argentinian dressing room uh, when they were leaving just to make sure he got it back. Um, <laughs> now. An English company had bought 18,000 England World Cup winners T-shirts and now face a major loss. So, yeah, well done. It had, uh, they look like the England kit and it had England Cup winners 
2022. It's finally home on the back. Oh. 18,000 shirts. <laughs> the company was planning on selling them for 29 pounds. So, yes. The other thing is that Messi has spoken since full time in World Cup related news and has said that he will not quit right now from the national team. He wants to play for Argentina as champions. That probably for me means the Copa America in 18 months. That's what I take that to mean as well, that um, we will see Messi more than likely at the Copa America. And it's obviously his prerogative, but personally, I'm happy for Messi to walk off into the sunset now. I don't particularly want to see him at North America 26 because he's reached the mountaintop. It's perfect for him to go out on top in his final World Cup with the trophy. And it's just it's too perfect for him to come back again for another World Cup. And also the other story, the England shirts. I've got an idea for what that company can do in terms of how they're going to be able to get some of their money back. Sell them for two pounds. No, not even that. Mm. Yeah, you send them up to Scotland, you send them over <laughs> to Ireland, and you can flog them for 50 bucks, 50 pounds, 100 pounds. They will fly out the door. Can you imagine where the next time England plays Scotland, Ireland, or Wales for that matter? <laughs> and the scenes, the stands are full of England kits, but they've got World Cup winners 22 on it. It'll be the greatest piss take you've ever seen. Oh, uh, dear. <laughs> I'll tell you what, one thing I have noticed as well is uh, Sergio Aguero celebrating as well. So a good connection between the previous editions of the Argentinian national team through to the World Cup winning edition. Yeah, I saw before the game that he was actually in amongst the camp as well. Mm. Yes. I think it was bunking with Messi as well. Yeah, correct. Yeah, no, they uh, brought him into the camp. Which is a strange one. Uh, they're very good friends. Potentially putting off the balance a little bit. You leave Not not that it would have happened, I don't think, but you, you do put it at risk if you bring another player in. It's the same thing if uh, Benzema was to come back for the final. It didn't happen. There was rumours no. that he might, but it's a similar scenario. You bring in a player who wasn't there for the ride, mm. who's not part of the, the, the team that went through the rounds and... Maybe you put a risk, the balance in the squad. Yeah, I, th- I, th- I think it was brought in as a team official uh, in that kind of capacity. So there we go. So now, World Cup is over. What's the legacy of this tournament? Straight away. The crowning of the greatest of all time. There's no debate now, that especially between current players. With all respect to Ronaldo, there is absolutely no ground for him to stand on anymore in terms of saying that he's uh, better than Lionel Messi. That is put to bed for once and for all now. And Lionel Messi, I think he stands alone at the top as well. Yes, perhaps on level pegging with Diego. But for me, it is absolutely clear. There is one goat and his name is Lionel Messi. Uh, Of the modern era? Absolutely. Um, Yeah, he's in the pantheon now. He's with Maradona. He's with Pele um, as the the eras go. There's no doubt about that. Um, So he's with the Stefano. Um, which would have you know been the player prior to Pele, so yeah, there's no argument there. How about for Qatar? They finished thirty second in the World Cup. They've done a great job of hosting this World Cup, but there is the off field drama, or the off field issues that will still remain tomorrow morning. Yes, they will. And my initial feeling is that Qatar and FIFA they don't deserve the World Cup they've got. This, if the tournament was staged in any other country or if the tournament was staged in a country that had previously hosted the World Cup, as it probably would have been, if not for what happened at FIFA back in 2010, 
It would have been in England. This would have been undebatable, unequivocally, the greatest World Cup of all time. The off-field issues with Qatar and FIFA are the only things that hold this World Cup back as one that will be filled with nostalgia trips in years to come that has so many memorable moments. But in years to come, when we look back, we'll always think of these off-field issues as well alongside the football. And that's the legacy of this tournament, that we've had such a fantastic showing on the pitch. Some of the best football we've ever seen at international level. Some of the best goals, some of the best passing plays, some of the best defending, some of the best goalkeeping. But that's always going to be there. This World Cup is going to have an asterisk and fantastic for Messi, fantastic for Argentina. I don't think they're going to particularly care that this tournament has a little bit of a tarnish to it. But for everyone else, that's always going to be there. And that's always going to be in the back of your mind when you think about this World Cup in 2022. Yeah, well said. Look, I would hope that FIFA and Qatar learn the lessons from this experience. There's still going to be a lot of discussion around where to now for the leg- and the legacy of this tournament, the actual legacy of this tournament in Qatar itself and the Arab world. They've done it by all accounts. They've done an amazing job in hosting the World Cup and congratulations to them for that. But let's not forget what actually went into the building of those stadiums that the talented players actually played in. And that's the human cost and that's the that's the area of this legacy that needs to be addressed and continues to be addressed along with, you know, uh, equal rights, LGBT rights, all those aspects, you know, um, women's rights, all those issues that were highlighted during this World Cup. They need to evolve. There needs to be uh, progress in those areas. And hopefully as the world opens up, one positive that can come out of this World Cup is that those avenues for progress and discussion can take place and that we as considered Western society um, are open and not so judgmental to the Arab world but also that that's reciprocated on the other side as well, that the Arab world is, um, you know, is uh, open to change. You know, they invited people into their homes and hopefully that can, that can continue in, in the ideal world where, you know, where we look at um, trying to progress all humanity. And it's evident that, you know, there's been progress with regards to workers' rights and that's the fundamental one that um, needs uh, addressing because you can't have this situation where people are, being paid um, well under what they deserve, but also, you know, for the profit of others, but also um, people not actually going home from their workplace. And we've had incidences of that during this World Cup. So, you know, let's hope that all those areas are addressed and that the world, now that the World Cup is over, the world doesn't forget about it. And by the time the World Cup returns to the Arab world, which one day it will, that we do see evidence of change. And whenever that would be, Lots of talk about a Saudi Arabian World Cup in years to come, that we don't see these similar scenes of the the Gulf region has learnt from this process, from this experience, and conditions and the lives of the the citizens of the of the region have improved dramatically. Yeah, and look, no society is perfect, right? Of We're not perfect. They're not perfect. It's a matter of just trying to become a better society for the you know globally and treating people with respect. And dignity, and that's all everyone asks for. And um, and and if we use that as a basis, I hope and pray that we use that as a basis. Then you know there'll be progress made. So, but back to on the pitch. Congratulations to everyone uh, involved, all the players. They provided us some with amazing highlights, and we can't dispute that the quality, like we said earlier during this episode, the quality of football was there. Yeah, it was absolutely brilliant for everyone to see. 
And I don't think it can be disputed that this wasn't the best World Cup on the pitch. And the reason for that is because it happened during the Northern Hemisphere season. Absolutely. And you might see some calls for more Winter World Cups in years to come. There was plenty of backlash off hosting the World Cup in November, December, and rightly so. The disruptions that it's caused around the world, but what's transpired is fantastic and the best football we've seen on the world stage. Some more um, legacies, perhaps, on the pitch in terms purely in terms of football is um, the semi-automated offside system. Mm-hmm. I think that's worth a mention. Mm-hmm. I think it's been absolutely brilliant, this tournament, and there hasn't really been a controversial VAR offside decision. And thank God there hasn't been one. And to that point, I'm so grateful that we're here talking about football this morning and not referees. Yes. The referee had a fantastic game. That's worth highlighting. He was brilliant. The, the whole officiating team were brilliant. Um, so congratulations. Yeah, congratulations to them. They, they, did a, uh, they handled it with aplomb. Another one on the refereeing front as well is the stoppage time that we've seen at this tournament. Yes. The seven, eight, nine minutes. Yes, it raised a few eyebrows when we, when we first saw it. But what it has done is eradicate so much time wasting because the players know now that they're going to be punished. This time is coming back around. And we did see it at times in this morning's game. The amount of times Rodrigo de Paul went down holding his calf or any other part that was... Yeah, he was spent. He was he was spent, but yeah. he was milking it as well. And of course. That, that's something that uh, slowly, I hope, can be eradicated from the game. And this is a, a great step forward for uh, FIFA and for football to uh, to try and mitigate the amount of time-wasting antics that we see. And so well done to the referees once again for the introduction of a more deliberate tracking of stoppage time. Yeah, to your point, football takeaways. I'm going to agree with the VAR, absolutely, uh, and the semi-automated uh, offside. Um, likewise, the additional time being reflected correctly because that's actually taken out a bugbear of mine which is going into the corner and holding the ball and playing into the corner for you know a couple of minutes that's just taken it out and it's actually led to teams having a go at each other still which is what you want to see and the other thing is FIFA at least reconsidering or revisiting this idea about the you know 16 groups of three for the next World Cup that's got to be knocked on the head they have to go with 12 groups of four. Groups of four is the best way to do it. It's the fairest way to do it because the last round of group matches, they all need to kick off simultaneously at the same time. It's like in, in each per group. has to be done that way. Yeah. I made my feelings clear on that yesterday. It has to be done and that's it. You know, they, they, can't, they can't go back to groups of three. They need to knock it on the head. The sooner they do that, the better because, yeah- it's it's not fair if they don't. And yeah, groups of four is non-negotiable now based on what we've seen in this tournament. And if you must change, I'd rather see groups of six than groups of three. Yeah, yeah. And that's another point as well. So we've reached the back peg. We've hit the back peg. Of the end of the line for the Daily Doha series. That's for it. Destination Doha. It's uh, we, we, We've hit our final episode for our initial season. I'll call it the initial season. Season one of the back peg. And- Wow, it's been so much fun. Yeah, what a tournament to do it with. Yes, and it has been fun. Nathan, yeah, 100% right. It's been an absolute blast. Absolute blast. I want to thank you for your contribution, uh, Nathan, and your editing and your hosting and your guidance, and it's just been absolutely brilliant. Uh, I want to thank everyone for their interaction uh, and their listening 
to the podcast, they're downloading their interaction with us on Instagram and direct messaging and Twitter and, you know, sharing, liking, subscribing, and, you know, all that. Um, please stay tuned to at the back peg on Instagram and Twitter. Um, and our intent is to be back after Christmas. We're hoping to do the what now for Australian football episode. First up, it just depends on guests um, and the format we're going to take. But if not, you know, we'll do do it shortly after then. But um, yeah, the plan is to be back after Christmas with an episode of The Back Peg, which will be episode one. <laughs> As I said yesterday, episode one. We started doing this two months ago and it'll be after Christmas we have our episode one. That, that, that sounds bizarre. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you just got to go with the flow. Got to go with the yep, flow. <laughs> that's it. But in reality, it'll be episode- uh, uh, but, but I want to say- 33 and nine. 32. It'll be episode uh, 33. Yeah. But in reality, it'll be episode 33 of the back peg and stay tuned for that. Thank you as well to everyone. I echo the thoughts of Laz uh, speaking to you here, listener, that we greatly appreciate everything that you've done in terms of feedback, in terms of interactions, listens, downloads. We cracked over 500 during the week and that is greatly appreciated across the entirety of the, the catalog that we've been able to put out. So I hope you've enjoyed it. And as Lazarus says, the back peg's not going anywhere. Yes. We're going to take a little bit of a break up until Christmas. After that, we're going to get into our usual episodes here. So hopefully we're able to put together an Australian football show, as Laz was saying. And I hope you'll enjoy that and the shape that the back peg will take beyond this World Cup and well into 2023. Once again, thank you very much for everything. Laz, your input, your the running of the social media and your opinions and your, your friendship as well. It's been so good to come on here and uh, have a chat to each and every morning following the games. And it's been absolutely brilliant. So thank you for that. Thank you, listener, once again for tuning in. Echo your thoughts there. And thank you for your friendship and your guidance. It's been really good. Been really good. Can't thank you enough. So I've been Nathan Gould. Merry Christmas to all. Happy New Year to those who celebrate. And I'm Lazarus Gramos and Merry Christmas all. And uh, we'll talk soon. Take care.